you know, as the, we've heard children's story, the songs and the, um, the work that's going out through the literature work, God has a plan for his people. We know that. And those who believe in the Lord, we are heavenly bound. We are on a journey. This earth is not our home. And we're just marching through. Would you say so? Yes. Uh, there are roadblocks. There are obstacles. But when we want to get from one point to another, I'm quite sure that Jonathan and his group that are passing out the literature have plotted and planned the distribution and uh, people going through the communities have plotted and planned, and those of us who also have a work to do. But I'd like to uh, share a thought here. I also work with prisoners, and um, there's a unique prison in the United States called Maranatha. I don't know if you heard about Maranatha, but it's one of the first prisons that vegetarian cooking is served. The first in the world. Uh, was a private prisoner that uh, in California. California has the highest prison system in the world. The recidivism rate is 90%. That means that when the prisoners go out, they come back. They make a lot of money on prisoners. It's a big business. But there was a, there is an Adventist man, pretty well off, was touched by another man, which was my spiritual father, was challenged, said that if we can build a prison, after they came from uh, Russia and a few other places, if we can build a prison where 24-hour Bible studies, vegetarian food, health message, we can stop the return rate. And that was a challenge. To make a long story short, it was opened um, last, this year, was it? There? Last year in January. Takes up between five and 800 folk not too far from Loma Linda in California. But anyway, we've been working with these folks and have, they have over 100 baptisms. But there was a prisoner that asked uh, my spiritual father, when I say spiritual father, one that introduced me to this message. And he said, what does the word Bible mean? And my spiritual father, very well a student of the Bible, said, well, the Bible means, as we all know, Books, collection of books, right? And the prison said, well, I have a better definition than that. I'd like to share that with you. And that definition, what he said. And put it up on the board here if we can get it real quickly. And, uh, and I thought it was very interesting what he said. And I decided to use that. Let's see if we can get it here. Can you see that back there? B-I-B-L-E. Even that's a song, even for the children, right? Now, this is what he said. The Bible simply means this. There we are. Here we are on planet Earth, whether we're in England or United States. This is just temporary. And the prisoner said, Bible means basic instructions before leaving Earth. Okay? Would you think that's a good idea? I thought it was a very wonderful concept because the Bible is a book of basic instruction to get us from point A to point B. 
Our home is heaven. Amen. Amen. And the Bible contains the instructions how to get from earth to heaven. And as we have heard from the sharing and throughout the rest of this week, we continue to look into the Bible for basic instruction. And so this morning with the time we have, we want to look at another subject. There's a precious statement here from a book called Christ's Object Lesson. Some of us might be familiar with that. And we also will look at this concept in the Bible. If you have the B-I-B-L-E, the book of basic instructions, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms 102. Now there's a statement there. We're going to look at Psalms 102, verse 16. Psalms 102, verse 16. And then we're going to comment on that statement. When can Christ come? And as we've been hearing that we are living in the inch of time, there's the urgency. And when I was growing up, my mother used to tell me, son, that Christ is coming. Is coming. My mother passed away at probably late 80s, and here I'm 51 years of age. Two children, couple grandchildren, believe that Christ is coming, but he's not here. I know my mother is, was telling the truth. The Bible tells me that he is coming. But this question here says, when can he come? When can Christ come? Not the fact that he's coming, but when can he come? And this statement is very profound. It says, when the character of Christ, and I believe this is what the young man was talking about this morning, devo devotion. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then will he come to claim them as his own. So what is holding up the show is character. And we're going to see this. It's not so much we need more money, more buildings. It is character what God is looking for. In the book of Psalms 102, verse 16, the Bible reads, it says, When the Lord shall build up Zion. What did it say here? Then he shall what? Appear in his glory. What is Zion? The Bible clearly defines Zion in Hebrews chapter 12. You read in verse 22, 23, 24. It talks about Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. You look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. God revealed to John this group of people that stood where? That is the victorious church. That is the glorious church. We have nothing to fear because we understand the certainty of the future that in the end, God's people win. Do you agree with that? You believe that? And so all the things that's happening to us are for our good, but we have a glorious future that John saw a triumphant people standing on Mount Zion, a victorious people, Revelation 14, 1. So when God get this people together the way they should be, Christ will appear in his glory. There was an astronaut recently returning from one of his expedition crew. And you might have heard this story, I don't know. He said that he heard music when he was there out of space. 
He heard music that was, that, that was beyond human comprehension. He could not put his finger on this music. It was not contemporary Christian music. It was not rock music. It was music that was so melodious that he could not identify it. He could not explain it. Now, some people said maybe it was music being beaming from Simmons satellite, but it was not. It was not that music. As we read, I believe that Orion is getting larger. Do you believe that? That is the hole that Christ will appear. I believe that the angelic host is preparing for the coming of the king. All of heaven is preparing, but those that he died for is just a miss of his coming. That I believe that those angels are preparing to strike up their vocal cords for the soon coming king. I realize that this planet that is in this galaxy, about a millions of galaxies, is the place that Christ going to set his headquarters. This rebellious planet called Earth. I believe he's preparing for that time. And he wants his people to be ready. We might not be able to pinpoint it, substantiate it with great authority. But I believe that when our Savior return and take his redeemed back, some have said in inspiration that there will be a seven-day journey there before we enter into that kingdom. On the inspiration, it said that there will be a time where there will be a stopover, where there will be a Sabbath. That means even those who died in the Lord years past without keeping the Sabbath will keep a Sabbath before they enter into the kingdom. I believe it would not be a Gaisley meeting or United States meeting or any kind of meeting that we can imagine because I believe that day on that Sabbath the King of Kings will give the sermon. We've heard many speakers and we become awed at man. But I tell you my brothers and sisters we need to look at the man Jesus. Can you just picture yourself on that Sabbath day on your way and we just stop over and Christ himself give the message as he spoke from Mount Sinai. Now, I don't want to mere speculate, but the Bible says that there will be kings of kings and lords of lords. That there will be those who are kings of kings. And I believe that there's many unfallen worlds. Do you believe that? I believe that. And I believe that there will be those redeemed and that Christ is going to say, well, if I'm faithful, Jackson, see, there's a planet over there. I want you to go there and share. Because the Bible says that God would exalt us even higher than angels. And the redeemed will even teach angels that never fallen. God tells us that even he will share his throne with us. Can you imagine a sinner like me, redeemed, transformed? by the blood of Jesus, sharing the throne of our Savior. What does this have to say with the message? I believe the second coming of Christ is the blessed hope for the Christian. Let us just briefly look at a concept here. The role of health reform in the plan of salvation. Before we move on, we want to clearly state 
that salvation is a free gift. Revelation 13, 8, it says, the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. Those of us who study the word of God, we know that salvation was not an afterthought. It was prepared in eternity before anyone was created. We cannot earn it. We cannot buy it. It's a free gift. We realize that Christ loved us so much that he died for us the way we are and the way we were. But he loved us so much by his grace we're not going to be or stay the way we are. So first of all, don't want anybody to leave out of here and thinking that we got to eat and drink our way into heaven. Though it has a part, but salvation is a free gift. But there's an aspect here. When we think of the word redeem, we sing the song of redeem. We have just realized that this year we have just reached 6 billion people on the face of this earth. There are 6 billion people on this planet. And everyone on this planet has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You agree with that? Everyone. I don't care who they are, what they believe, they have been redeemed. Now, when we understand this word redeem, it means something. The word redeem simply means to buy back. Is that right? If you ever went into an antique store and you saw some, a, a piece of furniture that has some historical value and you saw beneath the rubbish, the chip paint, the scar, the marred product, you saw something valuable. And you said, I want that. And so you put out your hard-earned pounds of money and you buy it. You redeem it. You take it home. You put it in your garage or wherever, uh, your basement or your attic, whatever the case may be. And every day you walk past that article and you said, you know, I got a good bargain for that. You redeemed it. You bought it back. But there's another process that must take place. You see, another phase of the redemption plan or salvation is the word restore. In order to bring that piece of furniture back to its original beauty, what you got to do with it? You got to strip it, right? Just like you're doing some modification here in this place and et cetera. You got to strip it, sand it, take some energy, take some time, and then you go over it with a new coat of paint and et cetera to its original beauty. And so the word restored means simply to return back to the original. Does that make sense to you? So I believe in my feeble mind, that six billion people, they have been redeemed, but all have not been part of the rest restoration process because that requires cooperation between the redeemer and those who are redeemed. Are you following what I'm saying? That's why the literature work and all these things that we're doing are avenues to get people attention that they can come into a relationship with the redeemer that they can go through a restoration process. They cannot be restored without their cooperation. You agree with that? So keep that in mind. So the plan of salvation involves this redemption and restoration. And God wants to not only redeem us, which he has, but he wants to return us back to the original position, status that Adam was in. 
before he fell from grace. That's good news to me. Knowing that God can restore me back into his lovely image. Redemption plan simply means this. To restore, to restore in the human soul the image of God. That's in a nutshell. And that's what we want to look at in light of this health message. The redemption plan. To restore in the human soul the image of God. Therefore, what was the divine purpose in man's creation? Before we go to Genesis 1.26, Isaiah 43.7, it says, I have created him for my what? Glory. glory. I want you to keep that word glory in mind. We're not going to preach to you. We're going to teach because we need to understand some connection here. God has made us all for his what? He, and I realize this. He did not create me to be the greatest basketball player. He did, not, he did not create me to play basketball in the first place. I didn't know that. He created me for his glory. And last night we found out that in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 that God knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. Therefore God had already planned in eternity that Thomas Jackson will be here even in England, which I didn't know anything about it. Do you believe that? I did not choose this work. I did not choose what I'm doing. It's just that God, through his divine providence, began to work situation out in my life. And I began to listen to God. And every one of us in here has a purpose. And that purpose is for God's glory. Amen. Keep that in mind. Every young person. You know, when we talk about young people, all of us have an identity crisis. As I go around the world, I see young people, especially in America. I see the young men. They have earrings here. I see young women have five or six earrings there, earrings in the nose. They pants slacking down, and they hair different colors. They're looking for something. You, you know that? They're looking for identity. And I remember I was in, 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 um, in Germany one time, and a young man uh, had... Uh, uh, earring, etc. And I did not approach him in a very negative way. I just said, you know, and I know why people wear earrings, men wear earrings in their ears. I just said, you know, it's interesting. Uh, could you explain why you have the earrings in your ear? And he said, I want to be different. Now listen to this. Different. And I said, son, I said, you know, I go to California, I see people with earrings. I go to Switzerland, I see people with earrings. I go to even Papua New Guinea, I see people with earrings, men. What makes you different? Everybody now is wearing the earring. And he said, hmm. I said, that God has made you special. And there's something unique about you. And the earring does not bring that out. It's an identity problem. If we can understand that God knew you and I before we were created, he has a special purpose for us. And as parents, we have to teach our children that they were created for a special purpose. God said, turn with me to the book of Genesis 126. And as you turn to Genesis 126, I want to bring your attention. You can jot it down in your mind and you understand this. In Revelation chapter 7, some of us have read verse 1 through 5 and 6 that it says that God is holding back the four corners of what? of the earth until what happens? Until his servants 
are sealed in their what? Forehead, the 144,000. Remember that. It's serving. That's Revelation chapter 7. Then you go to Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. John saw this group of people with their father's what? Name where? Written in their forehead. So Revelation 7 and Revelation 14 are talking about the same group of people. Would you say so? God said, seal them in their forehead. Revelation 14 said, their father's name written in their forehead. Isaiah 43 says, God has created me for his glory. Genesis chapter 1, 26 says what? Let us do what? Make man where? In our image. I want to stop there because that's what I want to dwell on. If you study the Bible, I'm quite sure some of us learn how to study the Bible, do what we call a word study. That word image is very important. I want you to remember what you probably already do. The Bible itself explains itself. Amen? We don't need man to explain it. Now, when we look at that word image, that word image is very important. In the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 5, we get a little intimation of that. When it says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, you see that word, imagination. You can also go to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, 12. It talks about imagination of the heart, of the thoughts. So when we see the word imagination, it is associated with thoughts. It's associated with the word heart. Now, is it talking about the muscles that's the size of my fist? No. It talks about the mind. Heart in the Bible means the mind. So therefore, when God said, let us make man in our image, he said, let us make a mind. When God created Adam, Adam was created with the very mind of his creator. Do you believe that? If he, if he was not, then Philippians 2.5 should be taken out of the Bible. You know what Philippians 2.5 said? Let this mind be in you. That was in Christ Jesus. So my father, your father, Adam, was created with the mind of his father. Is that all right? I would say amen to that. And so when we look at this word imagination, it is connected with the word image that deals with a thought. And so we see the word image just flows into the word imagination. There's a precious book, some might be familiar with it, called Helpful Living, page 12. Above all lower orders of being, God designed that man, the crowning work of his creation, should express his thought and reveal his character. I mean, when I heard these words, that you mean, God, that this old sinful man who has destroyed his brain cells, some of his brain cells, can have your thoughts restored in me? I want that, Lord. I want your thoughts. I want to reveal your character. There's no higher work on the face of this earth than that of character development. Every woman that holds that baby in their arm, every woman that has a child, has the most entrusted sacred responsibility in the world, is to develop character for eternity. You and I 
are products of mothers. Oh, yes, daddies too. But that mother, that child so close to the breast, while daddy's out trying to provide the physical things for the home, the mother has the challenge of educating that child. That's why I'm here today, because of a godly mother. I rebelled against my mother God, but her prayers went up to heaven, and God heard my mother's prayer. Before she died, she saw her baby son give his heart to the Lord. Character is the most entrusted work to human beings. So when God said, let us make man in our image, he said, let us make mine. Man, the crowning work of creation. We read that in the book of Psalms, that God said, you know, what is man that, what? We're mindful of him. And the Bible goes on and talks about that. We see how God compares in Psalms 8. When I consider the heavens and the work of thy fingers, Psalms 8 verse 3, and the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. And then the Bible said in verse 4, it says here, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou should visit him? And the Bible goes on and says in verse 5, it says here, For thou hast made him a little lower than angels, and hast crowned him with what? Glory and honor. Man, the crowning work of creation. Man, the apple of God's eye. Man, graven, carven on the palms of Jesus' hand. God said, he who touched you, touched the apple of my eye. Do you know the devil primarily does, he does not hate you and I. He hates Jesus. Do you know that? And since he was defeated and he cannot touch Jesus, and the only way he can hurt the heart of Jesus is to touch the apple of his eye. And I know that be a fact because, again, I, I know you're probably tired of me talking about my mother, but she was a lovely woman. And by being the youngest, my mother loved me with a love, a human love, that was stronger than death. My mother would literally, my wife can tell you this, my mother would literally fight a bear over her baby. Anybody touch me, touch my mother. Are you with me? And the Bible says that how can a woman forget her suckling? Yea, she will forget you. I will never forget you. God relates his, uh, uh, represents his relationship to us like a mother to a child, but stronger than a mother to a child. Because even now, mothers are abandoning their babies. Throw them in the garbage can, flushing them down the toilet, snatching them out with coat hangers and etc. But God said, I would never forsaken you. You are the apple of my eye. Are you with me? We are important because God has put his seal of love upon us. I'm not important because I'm a certain way. I'm only important because God loves me. And he loves every one of us in here. I know you know that. This is why you don't have to be depressed this morning. This is why you don't have to be down this morning. Because God will pick you up. He loves us with a love that's stronger than death. Therefore, God said, let us make man in our image. Therefore, when we realize that eternity has been placed in our hearts, we're eternity bound. And when we think about character, we must start with square one. How is character development? Number one, it is start with what? Thoughts. Thoughts express or will produce actions, our emotions. Action then, continue to repeat it, will form habits. 
Habits then develop our character. Character determine our destiny. Not where we live, not how we dress, not what we eat, not the education, not the money. Young people, character determine our destiny. Not the earrings, not the clothes, not the company you keep. It's who you are and what you are. If you think about lying, you will perform the acts of lying. If you continue to lie, you will develop a habit of lying. And you will have a character known as a liar. And your destiny will bound you get caught. Are you with me? If you think honesty, you're going to do honest deeds. Repeat it, you have honest habits. And you develop a character of honesty. Are you following me? What a man soweth, he shall reap. Remember, character is not our fingers and toes that God would change, but it deals with our thought level. Are you following me? Yes. People can go through the motions. You can dress right. You can eat right. You can come to these meetings. But that doesn't mean you have been transformed. Amen? Amen. You can sit among the saints. I can get up here and give the best message and the best sermon and the best prayer, but that doesn't mean I have been transformed. That could be behaviorism. Conversion takes place at the thought level, and the devil knows that. Are you following me so far? And so therefore, Proverbs 23, 7, for as, a, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you think you are, you are. We move on. What is character then? Character, then, is made up of thoughts and feelings combined make up moral character. This comes from a book that some of you all might be familiar with, Volume 5 of the Testimonies to the Churches. So then what does character consist of? Thoughts and what? So when we go back, when God said, let us make man in our image, and when we understand this word image, dealing with our thoughts, then God created Adam with his thoughts and with his feelings. So Adam had the thoughts and feelings of God. Is that all right? And so the plan of salvation then is to restore the thoughts of God and the feelings of God into Thomas Jackson. Would you like to have those thoughts and feelings of God? I, I don't know about you, but I do. Because God said, Yo, my thoughts are evil, selfish. Even as we said in here, where are our thoughts? God said, my thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. What about our feelings? Well, I don't feel like getting up this morning and going to the meetings. I don't feel like I should even say anything to that person because the way they treated me. I just don't feel like it. If Jesus had those type of feelings, we wouldn't be here today. I don't feel like leaving the security and the comfort of eternity, Father, because I don't feel that they will appreciate the sacrifice. Hmm. The Bible tells me that he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Oh, when we have those thoughts and feelings, we're going to be touched with the feelings of infirmities of every soul on the face of this earth. We won't have to be urged to get this message out. It will become automatic. Are you following me? Thoughts and feelings. The most important work ever entrusted to human beings is what? Character building. Do you agree with that? I thought 
being a good basketball player would give me character. You see, let me say this, young people. I don't know how I know it's football, soccer here in, in the United Kingdom. But um, in America, people laud basketball players. There is a difference between a celebrity and a hero. Michael Jordan is not a hero. He's a celebrity. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Magic Johnson is a celebrity, but not a hero. There's only one hero, and that's Jesus. You cannot find one man that life is above reproach. I have professional friends. I have socialized with some of the best. I sit at the tables. They celebrities, but not heroes to pattern my life after. I've been there. I've been down that road. Has nothing to do with who they are, but we exalt these movie stars and these athletes as heroes, as mentors. But there's only one perfect pattern. That's Christ Jesus. That's my hero. He's the one. Character. Character is very important. Where does transformation begin? With our thoughts. Keep this in mind. God didn't say, give me your rock music. <laughs> give me your pokey man. He said, give me your heart. If God has the heart, he has everything. You agree with that? That's very important. All right, then. So let us get a definition as we try to get to this very core here. Name and glory equal character. Do you agree with that? Because the Bible says so. In the book of Exodus thirty-three eighteen, 18, Moses said, Lord, show me thy what? And then we find in verse 19, God respond, I will proclaim my name. The word name and glory are synonymous. Because in Exodus 34, 5 through 7, and God proclaimed his name, merciful, gracious, long-suffering. God was enumerating his attributes. So just for the sake of time, when God said to John, there is a group of people in Revelation 14, 1. Standing on Mount Zion with their father's name in their forehead, God is saying that they don't have a literal name. They have my character. Are you following me? So that group of people have the character of God. And where's character? How do we develop character? With the thoughts. So this group of people that God revealed to John had the mind of Christ. That's the final church. That's what this means. Very important to understand that. So what, now what does this have to do with health reform? <laughs> and we call it a great controversy. I know you all pronounce it different, but that's all right. Maybe you all are right, we wrong, but we understand the same language. <laughs> I believe, Brother Jonathan, the great controversy, as you get those books out, and as they read it, they'll see two powers, as we already know, contending not for my toes, not for my finger, not for my house, not for my car, but for my mind. Do you agree with that? Amen. Who will occupy the kingdom of the mind? Who will rule in the sight of the mind will control the destiny of the soul? Do you agree with that? That's the great controversy. God's character is on trial. 
Do you believe that? I'm not saying he's on track. His character, his name, it must be vindicated by his people. Romans chapter 3 verse 4 said, let every man be a liar and let God be what? True when he is judged. God is looking for some men and women today that he can say, look, this is the group of people according to Isaiah 43.10. You are my witnesses. God going to have a group of people that he's going to hold up and say, here's Satan. Here is that group of people. Here they are, like he did, Joe. He will move away. He said, now prove them. That will be a group of people that will prove that God is merciful, just, and, and, and kind. Because the devil has accused God of being unloving, selfish. Even he has called people to blame the destruction upon God. Tornadoes. Hurricane, the acts of God. Even some of us, maybe not even conscious of what we're saying, when trouble arises in our lives as Christians, and we say, Lord, why is this happening to me? Have you ever said that? You don't have to raise your hand. I know people have said that. And when we say that, we indict God. We are telling God that he does not know what he's doing with us. When we say, Lord, here's my life, and when trouble happens, we say, why did this happen to me? Why not you? Because trials are nothing but God's instrument to perfect his character in us. Is that all right? Amen. And so when we have trials, let's not question God. Just say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on, but I know you're in control. Give me grace to endure this trial. Do not bring the charges against God that he is arbitrary, that he's unmerciful. God is going to take a people from here, from England, from Europe, from America, a people that he can trust fully with his Holy Spirit to vindicate his name. I want to be part of that. The honor of Christ and God is truly involved in the character of his people. What does that mean? That means that the unfallen world and even the fallen worlds are looking on on this great controversy and looking at the outcome. You and I play an important part in this controversy. God is depending, you might want to say, on us. Eternal God depends upon you and I. He put himself on the obligation to his people to vindicate his name. Now that's an awesome thought. He don't need to do that, but he does that. Because the only way he can be just in the eyes of the unfallen world, that he has to have a people that will rather die than sin. Therefore, we find that in Revelation chapter 14, 1, John saw this group of people with their father's name where? In their what? And so the forehead definitely to you and I means the front brain. Keep that in mind. This is how we're going to find how this health message fits in. It's the front brain which controls the light. Judgment, reasoning, power. This is going to come out clear. So John did not see some name written across here. He saw that this group of people had the very thoughts of God that developed a character after God. But they made that decision. We find here, before I, I want to go back, I want to ask you a question just to perk you up a little bit. The brain. 
Is there a difference between the brain and the mind? I see somebody say yes. All right, on this side, let's take a, let's take a roll count. Raise your hand. How many say there's a difference between the brain and the mind? Can I see your hand? Okay, a few folks, good. On this side, how many say there's a difference between the brain and the mind? Can I see your hand? Hmm. On this side, how many say there's no difference between the brain and the mind? Can I see your hand? Hmm. Now, either you don't care or you don't know. I know you care. How many don't know? Well, the rest of you guys don't care then because I didn't see your hand. Okay, let's go over here. How many said there's no difference between the brain and the mind? All right. How many don't know? Can I see your hand? So the rest of you guys, so we got a lot of people that don't care. All right, those who care, let me talk to you. And I pray for those who don't care. <laughs> and I know sometimes we feel a little reserved, but that's all right. <laughs> it's good to smile when it's a wholesome smile to increase your endorphin level. Amen? Because you need to have that endorphin increase a little bit. Because I need my endorphin increase in the type of work that I'm in. My immune system cannot be afforded to be compromised. Now, there's a statement here. There is a difference between the brain and the mind. And if you understand this, you can understand even the nature of Christ, the nature he took on after the fall. You can understand that. Because he took on a fallen nature of man, but he had the mind of God. And that's what you and I can have when we're born again. Now, there's a wonderful statement in the book, some might be familiar, Medical Ministry. Anybody familiar with that book? Page 291, if you're not, but even modern science will prove that. Listen to what it says. The brain is the organ and instrument of the mind and controls the whole body. What controls the whole body? The brain. The brain is an organ and instrument of the mind. Listen. It says, in order for the other parts of the system to be healthy, the brain must be healthy. Did you hear that? In order for the other parts of the body to be healthy, your brain must be healthy. Listen to what it says further. And in order for the brain to be healthy, the blood must be pure. I think you almost draw some conclusions already. Hmm? Listen to what it says further. By correct habits of eating, my wife will be giving a presentation at 3 o'clock after lunch on from sad to glad diet. Did you get that? Sad to glad. That's two types of diets we can have. We can have a sad diet or the glad diet. But anyway, if by correct habits of eating and drinking, the blood is kept pure, the brain will be properly what? Now, can we see how this is going to fit in here? Since thoughts is the foundation, are the foundation of character development, then the brain is the instrument of these, of the mind, which is nothing but the thoughts. The thoughts are housed in the brain. Are you following? But if the brain is not healthy, we're going to see the thoughts going to be incorrect. So it does make a difference how we take care of this body. We'll see this in a moment. We find then, the blood supplies the five need. I'm sorry about that color. Last night we found out the blood supply of what? Oxygen. What else? You name them for me. Those who are here. What's the third one? Anybody remember? Nutrients. Very good. What's the other one? Anybody remember the other four? There's, somebody is thinking here. And what was the fifth one? Freedom from poison. So therefore, we have been listening. So the body is made up of all these cells, and the cells need these five needs. Now when we think of the brain... The human brain, I'm sorry you can't see that up there, but the human brain weighs three pounds. 
okay, that sits right up here in the skull, three pounds. The brain, we find here, uses 20 to 25% of oxygen in the blood. It's 80% water. It consists of over 10 billion nerve cells. That's more. Now, every one of those nerve cells, now, listen to this before I move on. We're going to find out that those nerve cells, brain cells, are very important. Last night we found out that he that is faithful in that which is least will be faithful also in much. We found out that the cell is the smallest unit of life. So the brain is made of all these cells. And these cells need oxygen, water, nutrient, kept cleanse, and all poison. Ten billion nerve cells. Now, they said scientists are coming up with a way they believe that the brain cells can be rebuilt. I don't believe that. Now, I'm reading a lovely book called Healing the Broken Brain by Dr. Chalmers, Christian gentleman. But when you damage brain cells, they are irreparable. You cannot replace brain cells. When they're gone, they're gone for eternity. That's why when the Bible said, young people, give your heart to the Lord when you're young. But if you wait, I've only been serving the Lord 22 years. Therefore, I'm 51, 52, so that means out of those 52 years, 20-something of those years were dedicated serving the devil, destroying my brain cells. That means that what could I have been or could be if I started when I was one year old serving the Lord, two years. Do you know, ladies, that those young ladies who probably ended up married might want to have children, <clears throat> do you know that your baby can be born with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit can touch that baby in your womb? Did you know that? I believe that. I believe, when I say born with, I believe that the Holy Spirit can work with that mother. If that mother is close to God, that baby can come out. I, I have this experience that a young family that we used to deal with, the mother used to sing songs to that baby, pray with that baby, and today that girl's 14 years old. She's just praising God. She loved the Lord with all her heart, with all her soul. The way she was brought up. Even from the womb. Prenatal influence. Are you following what I'm saying? We find them. So the cells, every cell is in, are important. We are healthy as our cells. If the foundation be destroyed, we found out what can the righteous do. If the devil can destroy our brain cells, he can control the brain. We find then the cells make tissue. We found out tissue make organs and systems and thus the body. So the devil wants to affect us. Now, this might sound strange to you, but I don't believe it's strange. When you deal with health, the devil wants to get us at the very core of this health message. If he can get us to pollute our cells, he can destroy our brains. I know you don't believe that, but that is true. Memory. The brain, look at the, let's deal with the memory of the brain. The human brain, each nerve cell, how many nerve cells? We got 10 billion. And, that, and I believe that's an underestimation now, Brother Richard, because they said it's more than 10 billion. Now, I want you to follow this. Each nerve cell can record 86 
million bits of information each day of our lives. Now we got this brother here, Tom, works on computer. This brother, Jonathan, works on computer. I'm, I'm computer illiterate. But I can tell you one thing. You can take, there's a computer in Brussels. They call it, is it? I don't know. They call it a, whatever it is. They say they got a computer in Brussels. But anyway, let's take Texas. I, I try to identify here, but I don't know. You heard of Texas? It's the biggest state in the United States. You can take a computer, build it as long as Texas, as wide as Texas, take it 23 story high, then you take all the communication network of the major police department in the United States, the library communication department in the United States, take Bill Gates' empire and sprinkle on top of that and all the other computers, you would not develop a computer that can match the ability of the brain, memory. You cannot do it. And here we're not even touching even that of our brain. That's why God said we'd be learning throughout eternity. When you stop learning, God stopped being God. And God would not cease to be God. 86 million bits of information. And even every one gene of the human body contained and communicated enough, enough information. One gene. And we can take that information that that gene communicate and translate it into the English language. It would take almost 4,000 books the size of my Bible to contain all of that information. That's one gene. Now here we have ten, over 10 billion nerve cells and each nerve can record 86 million bits of information. And we tell up, we say, I forget. <laughs> I forgot. Hmm? Something is wrong. Because we're watching too much television. Too much video games. We're not bringing our minds in contact with the mind of deity. I had a friend, and, and, and unfortunately in Chicago, sometimes they just graduate folks that cannot even read. I had a friend that went to high school, couldn't even read. Couldn't read. Couldn't hardly spell his name. When he started reading the Bible, this guy is a fluent reader. <laughs> Supernatural. I can't explain it. I only can experience this contains the very thoughts of God. It would expand your mind. How can a one that's been on drugs, alcohol, destroy their brain cells, God reach out and bring them into a loving relationship, and as I mentioned last night, and be able to still communicate his love? I believe through the Holy Spirit supernaturally, as I mentioned last night, God create new pathways in those brain cells. You see, when we have a habit of doing something, we, we, we develop grooves. You know that? Grooves. And they are fixed into the brain. But when we give our heart to the Lord and give our mind and God take the mind, he develops new pathways that will counteract that pathway. But habits must be developed by repetition. Are you following me? You cannot develop this by spending 15 minutes with God, Bible. You got to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And therefore, memory, listen to this, memory can hold 100 trillion bits of information in a lifetime. What do I mean lifetime? Some people living to be 120 years of age. The brain is amazing. Every second, your brain forms at least 1,000 different chemical reactions, which in return creates thoughts, emotions, and action. 
That's what's going on right now in your brain, in my brain, that God created it. I didn't come from a monkey or a baboon, from a hand of a divine designer. It goes on and says, we move on. Our brain is like a radio. What is a radio? It's a receiver. It's a receiver. And when we think about a receiver, Brother Humphrey, it received, then it transmit. So the brain is like a receiver. Do you believe that? Now, when we listen to the radio, it's transmitting information, but it takes some electrical current to produce that. Would you say so? Just like I'm speaking through this mic, there's electrical current. I don't see it, but if this wire was off, I touch it, I will experience it. You see, God, in the heavenly courts above, he's looking for some receivers to transmit his love throughout the world. He needs some healthy brains. And the way that work is not through electricity, it's through the Holy Spirit. Are you following what I'm saying? We can't see it, but we can experience the power of the Holy Spirit when we come in contact with the word of God. It is a receiver. When you are tuned into heaven, you will transmit the thoughts of God. You ever had a radio and you had a little static on it? We want to be sure we're on the right channel. Are you with me? Because the brain is a receiver. Don't touch that dial. God wants us to be tuned in. We find then. Listen to this wonderful statement from the book Temperance, page 13. The brain nerves which communicate with the entire system are the only medium through which heaven can communicate and to man and affect his inmost life. How does heaven communicate? Through our toes? Through the brain what? Nerves. Whatever disturbs the circulation of the electric current in the nervous system lessens the strength, it says, of the vital powers and the results is a deadening of the sensibility of the mind. What this is simply saying that God communicate not through our body, through our feet, but through this right here. Are you following? That's what it's saying. And that's how he affects our inmost lives through the brain by putting his thoughts there. We find then, for the brain to be healthy, the blood must be pure. Therefore, the brain is nothing but a house for the mind. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, you know the story. God created man from what? The dust of the ground. Last night we shared with you that God took those elements, made man into a biochemical laboratory. Why did God create that body? The purpose for God creating that body is to be a casket or a house to house his thoughts. That's the purpose we have a body. Not to pump iron, not to kick a soccer, but to house the very thoughts of God. You see, God, they say, who's going to worship God must worship God in truth and true. God is a spirit. And the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, I believe, chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, it says, a body has thou prepared me. You see, Christ came in the flesh, and by Christ coming in the flesh, it was God's thoughts in the flesh. It was God's feelings in the flesh. Do you agree with that? Since no man has seen God, but Christ came down and God clothed his thoughts and feelings with flesh and blood. 
And people saw the thoughts and feelings of God walking on two legs. That's what God wants for his church. God wants to have a people that will incarnate his word. He wants a people with these bodies that God can fill with his Holy Spirit. The Bible said, know you not that ye are what? The temple of the living God. As we come to a close, let me just share this with you. Adam, Genesis chapter 2, verse 19. How many heard the fact that when God said to Adam, whatever name of these animals you will give, that would be the name thereof? You read that? Look at it, Genesis 2, 19. I believe it's 2, 19. There in that lovely garden of Eden, God said, Adam, whatever name you call, that would be the name thereof. Is that what it says? Now, who created the, who created the animals? What you say? We, we agree with that. Now, if he created the horse, the eagle, whatever, did God know the name of these animals? So it was not that God said, well, uh, I don't know the name of these animals. So, Adam, could you help me with the name? You don't believe that, do you? That's not what it's all about. People say, well, Adam, one who helped God naming the animals. But see, God created this new order of beings. It's something different from what he created with the angels. He created a mind that was too reflect his thoughts. And so he was going to test this new invention. And so the test was this. We're going to check this new invention out. We're going to prove. Before you put a product on the market, you got to test it. Am I right? If you're going to sell a computer, you got to be sure it's going to do what it says before you put it on the market. So God said, we're going to prove this new invention. And so I believe in that wonderful Garden of Eden, the Lord paraded animals before Adam and I can just imagine, I'm just using my sanctified imagination. And he probably looked to the west and saw this beast coming out of the west, four-legged, broad breast, wide nostril, beautiful tail, looked gallant. He passed by Adam, and Adam looked at him. And you can just imagine Adam thinking, and Adam points his finger at him. He said, horse. And God said, that is good, but that is what I would have called it. And God just parade the animals all day. Big birds flying. I stand six feet, six inches, and I imagine the eagle wingspan had to be twice my height. And Adam, looking into the heavens, saw this powerful bird, and he points, and he calls it eagle. And God said, that is good, for that is what I would call it. Now, I know you might not believe it, but that is what took place. Adam was simply reflecting the mind of his creator. Are you with me, church? And when the Bible said he's going to restore that mind, and when that mind is restored in me, I'm going to be reflecting the thoughts of my maker. That's the plan of salvation. And therefore, since the devil knows that the brain is the issue, he wants to destroy the brain. Are you with me? So he can destroy our thoughts. You heard of the story of uh, Phineas Gage, 1848? From Canada, September 3rd, railroad, former, land tracks, blasting, 
You heard of the story. Young man, it's a true story. Had a family, children. He was a foreman. He was a pious man, religious man. On that day of 1848 of September the 13th, Phineas Gage kissed his wife, hugged his children, and said, I see you when I return home for dinner. Phineas Gage was in charge of the blasting to put dynamite in the holes because they was removing mountains to lay railroad track. And he was in charge of that process. And that was a tampering rod that was used. And as he was packing, well, something happened that they f- forgot to put sand around the dynamite. And when Phineas Gage was using the tampering rod, tampering, trying to pack the hole, the tampering rod, iron rod, hit a rock and ignited, kind of went off, a, a little fire spark. And it, that was an explosion. That was a great explosion. So he was 25 years of age, in charge of blasting for railroad track. A blasting acid accident sent a 13-pound tampering eye, one inch thick, three feet long, under his left cheek, behind his left eye, through his brain, out of the other side. It knocked him to the ground. The tampering rod went straight out, knocked him unconscious. Blood was gushing, but it did not kill Phineas Gage. Make a long story short, he even almost helped his workers to get him to the, to the, to the hospital. And he, they took him to the hospital. And they performed an operation, which was a lobotomy. We're talking about the front brain. Remember, Phineas Gage was a loving man. Even that tampering rod did not affect his physical ability. He was still able, Tom, to do physical things. Even he was able to talk and speak a little bit. It did not even impair his intellectual capabilities. But we find it says physician report destroyed part of Phineas Gage frontal lobe. Hmm? It says here disturbing the mechanism Balance the intellectual faculty and the animal propensities, sensualities, our desires. When Phineas Gage had that operation, his whole personality changed. He became abusive to his wife, no longer a loving father. Stop going to the church. To church. He finally lost his job. He joined a circus, and 13 years later, he died. Doctors got permission from his family to exhume the body to get this skull, and it's today, Tom, at Harvard University. They've done research, I believe. Phineas Gage, what does that mean? Lobotomy, what is a lobotomy? Surgical incision into the frontal lobe of the brain, to sever one of the more nerve tracts, a technique formerly used to treat certain mental disorder, but now rarely perform. What am I saying to you all when we think of Phineas Gage? Satan is attempting a spiritual lobotomy on my brain and your brain. He's not using dynamite. Are you following me? He has different methods. If he can destroy, why? This reasoning. Because he's not going to use a tampering rod. The Bible says, with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. If the devil can control our brain, thus he control our mind, he control our destiny. The frontal lobe, what is that? The frontal lobe, scientific study shows that the frontal lobe is the seat 
of spirituality, morality, the will. We find that this is another same picture here. It says here, the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. Therefore, this is where you and I make what? Moral decisions. Moral decisions. Therefore, the life of the flesh is where? In the blood. In order to have a healthy brain, what is the conclusion? Outside the spiritual food, from a, from a health perspective, what do you think we need to do to have a healthy brain? We have to have a healthy body. And how can we have a healthy body? Come on, talk to me. We've got to follow the health principle. The health principle God has given to us, not to just be healthy people, but he has given us as a method to prepare these brains to receive the thoughts of the living God. That's why I practice the health message. Not because I belong to some super religion. It's because it is part of a means through which God wants to help me to develop character. Does that make sense to you? Yes, it does. Therefore, in order to have good health, we must have good blood. In order to have good blood, we must have good food. We're here about the diet this afternoon. This comes from Minister of Healing, page 271. And my wife is going to be talking about this afternoon. Are you safe at the plate? From sad to glad. Let us close out with this text in the book of 1 Corinthians. And as we close out with 1 Corinthians, I want to appeal to each and every one of us. Let us not discount the fact what we put into our bodies what we eat, what we drink, how we clothe this body, how we live, has no bearing upon our eternal destiny. It does have bearings. Can you see that? Because even as I do this, because since we only got a weekend, I go a little further into, you, into this, show you how certain foods affect the frontal lobe. Not only alcohol, not only tobacco, not only caffeine, but even sugar destroys the frontal lobe. Chocolate destroys the frontal lobe. I have a whole list of things that shows you what the devil is dishing out to us. He, he makes sin look pleasurable. Are you following what I'm saying? He cover it. It tastes good, but it's deadly. I used to be a sugar hog. I'll be talking a little bit about that when we get into diseases. So some of us don't drink caffeine, some of us don't do tobacco, some of us don't do alcohol, but even overeating affects our frontal lobe. Eating late at night and going to bed affects our frontal lobe. Skipping breakfast affects our frontal lobe. Eating between meals affects our frontal lobe. You don't believe that. And if you think you're making the right decision, it's your own strength you're making decisions. God has given us in his mercy a health plan. I thank God for that health plan. And as you go out and share, remember that the world is a laser house of disease and there are people looking how to take care of themselves. In 1 Corinthians, I believe, as we close out with this text, chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. The Bible declares in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is 
the temple of what? The Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own. Did you hear that? I don't belong to me. God has entrusted me with this body to house his thoughts, and I want to be a good steward of this body. Like you're a good steward of your house and your car. We think more of our computers and our houses than we think of the human body. The Bible finally says in verse 20, for you are bought with sugar and coffee. Oh, it didn't say that, did it? So you are bought with a price. And that's the blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorify God in your body and where else? In your spirit, which are God. May God richly bless us and impress us to take to heart these precious truths. Amen. Let us uh, bring our meeting to a close now with hymn number 522, O Let Me Walk With Thee, My God, As Enoch Walked In Days Of Old, 522. Father God in heaven, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you have tarried with us. You have blessed us. 
We give you praises. We give you honor and glory that, Lord, it is your purpose to restore your mind in every one of us. So, Lord, if we're not willing, make us willing to be willing. But I pray, Lord, that when we leave this place, we will have that closer walk with thee. Now, Lord, we commit ourselves into thy hand who is able to keep us, who is able to deliver us, till you bring us back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May God bless you. Have a good lunch.